from Car Rigs and Ingram, this is It Figures, the CRI podcast, an accounting, advisory, and industry-focused podcast for business and organization leaders, entrepreneurs, and anyone who is looking to go beyond the status quo. All right. Well, welcome to this week's It Figures podcast. Uh, I'm Jeff Silver. I'm a partner at uh, CR and CRI's Task Practice. Today, we've got Mark Berry and Jeff Hawkins, uh, both partners in our Task Practice. Guys, you want to introduce yourselves here? Why don't we go with uh, Mr. Hawkins first? Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Uh, it's uh, glad to be on the episode and uh, hope to share some knowledge. You know, as you mentioned, I'm a Task Partner out of our Atlanta office, and uh, I'm a 100% dedicated TAS partner. You know, we focus on quality of earnings, general consulting, you know, working capital consulting uh, as part of what we're doing. We also have valuation underneath our service line as well. It's not something I personally do, um, but again, it's something we offer. And then also we have tax consulting as well. Also not something I work on, but it is part of our team. Excellent. Excellent. Mark. Yeah, Mark Berry, uh, also a TAS partner. Uh, I housed in the Houston office, uh, rolling up on about 20 years of, of diligence experience and look look forward to uh, to talking about some, some TAS work here. Excellent. Well, Mark, you don't look like you've done this a day over 19 years, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, so let's get into it. We're going to talk about the current trends in the market right now. Um, as we all know, it's been a very interesting three and a half years for the world. We've, we've seen pandemics, we've seen inflation, uh, we've seen bank failures. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely been a, a challenging times, but there's also been uh, a significant amount of uh, transaction activity that's going on. Um, really, I, I guess I would kind of phrase it as a roller coaster ride. Uh, Jeff, can you give some perspective on some of the changes you've seen, you know, across the last three and a half years as, as we you know, kind of lead up to today? Yeah, sure. So, you know, COVID really was a disruptor in a lot of ways and the transaction world was was no um, what was not was not able to be hidden from it. So what happened is, you know, when COVID first happened, a lot of private equity groups you know, they own multiple sets of companies. And what that prevented them from doing was getting a lot of PPP uh, loan money. So what those guys had to do is really kind of batten down the hatches and start managing their portfolio companies really closely to make sure they got through this this unknown time period. So between that and, and kind of banks uh, unsure what was going on, you know, deal flow in 2020 was, you know, almost non-existent. And in this space, what, what really happens is, you know, when, when private equity raises money, that's not when those guys get paid. They get paid when they utilize the money. And so they had multiple months, eight, nine, 12 months to make up of, of deal flow. And so what essentially started happening is in, you know, late 20, early 21, really the, you know, a waterfall kind of happened, right? I mean, the, the dam burst and everything that was kind of pent up you know, really kind of uh, flowed through. So then the other thing that happened in this space is there's a lot of FOMO. And so people, if, if my buddy's acquiring a bunch of car washes, our group has to acquire a bunch of car washes, right? So part of that, everybody trying to make up the, the deal flow 
And then again, the FOMO factor of people trying to make sure that, you know, your buddy at the other firm doesn't surpass you, you know, really caused an all time high of, of deal flow in 21 and in 22. So those two, two years are, are, are all time highs, really. Fast forward to, you know, Q1 23, it was all all time low in the last decade of deal flow. We've seen things start to pick up a little bit here recently. Uh, but, you know, really, so as you mentioned, roller coaster really is the right kind of terminology for this. And really what we've seen as a result is people are digging way deeper on diligence today than they were a few years ago when it was really just, can you get to the finish line the fastest? That's no, no longer the sentiment anymore. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, yeah, that that roller coaster ride has contributed to a lot of uh, changing of perspectives. And and, and Mark, you know, uh, question, you know, next question for you is, is that, you know, Jeff just talked about how, you know, how basically we're in, you know, we've gone up, we skyrocketed, now we're plummeted, you know, and deal, and deal flow is is the lowest in, in a decade, right? So in your opinion, right now, what are the biggest challenges that sellers are facing? Yeah, I think good, uh, a good, good story around how quickly they were able to come out of the downturn of COVID, right? A lot of industries literally shut down for a long period of time, for months on end. And uh, I think the data and the story tells two things. One is how quickly can you rebound? How well of a management team did you have in place? How well were you? Are you able to uh, mitigate risk um, and disruptions in your business? Um, some things you can't control, right? Supply chain, those types of things you just couldn't control. But how well can you can you float until you're able? To, you know, until supply chain opens back up. Um, the other piece is just data. How how good of uh, how good is your accounting data, sales data, and is it backing the story that that we're seeing and kind of that rebound effect, similar to what Jeff was talking about from deal flow, but also the the rebound effect of operations and how well your business was able to rebound uh, once the pipeline opened back up. Um, you know, I I participated in diligence during the 08 crash, um, and I would say this is somewhat. Uh, you know, the COVID crash was somewhat similar, obviously different issues, um, but it, it it's reminiscent of the OAQ4 crash, right, with the real estate and sure. the banking issues. Sure, sure. And I think one of the biggest differences today probably versus 08 is the amount of what we call dry powder that's sitting on the sidelines. And you read articles about that all the time about how much capital is just sitting there waiting to be deployed. And yeah, that is definitely a difference for 2008. And so I guess conversely, Mark, we just talked about the sellers. What what challenge with all this dry powder sitting on the sidelines, what would you say is the biggest challenge uh, for the buyers? Yeah, you're piggybacking off what uh, Jeff Hawkins just talked about with you know, the private equity model is you got to deploy capital to start realizing a return. And so the, from a buy side standpoint, I do think, at least talking to, to our private equity clients, they are digging a little deeper than they have in the last 24 months on deals. Um, and I think a lot of that not only relates to understanding the business and also the, the rebound effect in operations, but 
also the model, the investment model mm-hmm. with the cost of capital continuing to rise with the Fed rates going up every so often. Uh, it changes their deal model every single time that that interest rate rises. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think a lot of their um, a lot of their risk or a lot of their anal- analysis is coming more in their investment model. What's our debt to equity ratio that we need to throw into this deal? One, to get it closed, but then our ability possibly in a year or two to refinance, to pull cash back out, lever it up slightly more to assist in our returns. And then it gives us more capital to invest in two years, right? When we refinance each each of our deals. Um, so I, I think that their view is really uh, internal looking and how are we going to invest? What's our investment model looking like with the cost of capital that we are currently facing? Got it. Got it. Now, being transact, being in transaction advisory services, you know, uh, all of us, we're all very, very in tune with the idea of what a quality of earnings study is and um, going through a financial due diligence process. Um, Jeff, you know, and, and Mark, Mark, you commented on this a little bit, but Jeff, can you describe a, in a little bit more detail how the, the diligence process has evolved, say, from 21 and 22 at the height of the deal flow to, to now? What, what are some more specific examples of the changes of how um, both, you know, buyers and sellers are approaching the diligence process? Yeah, sure. So I think probably the most uh, prominent example would be, you know, when we're doing a sell side engagement because, you know, the buyer comes in and they'll maybe have multiple people look at our work product. You know, during the height of everything, we were rarely getting questions on our work product. Uh, We would maybe have a phone call in maybe 30 minutes to an hour. They would even have things they wanted to follow up with us on and they would never follow up with us on it. Because what it became was is less about the diligence process and more about who can offer the most and close the quickest. So when there's a lot of people at the table, it becomes a bidding war sometimes, right? And so that that's really what we saw happen. Well, now it's not a bidding war so much. Again, now you have more time to dig in. And so people are, but plus there's more risk out there. I mean, Jeff, me and you worked on a job particularly where they had ramped up their inventory about 50% in the last six months. Well, that could mean a million different things, right? Well, what it ended up meaning was because of supply chain issues, they overbought, right? And now the buyer has to contend with, well, what do we do with this excess inventory? Can we, is it saleable? Do we even want it? Do we pay for it as part of the transaction? So things that have arisen now with the economy slowing down some, they didn't exist a few years ago. I mean, people couldn't get enough inventory a few years ago. Now people have too much in general. So that's a big risk for a buyer's perspective is, and again, with how quickly that all changed too, that's another thing that's risky. There's no real consistent results from 2020, 21, 22. And now 23 is even, you know, maybe more back to normal, but there's banking issues and lending issues. So the last three years have had different challenges that making it now more risky for buyers. The other thing I've thought about too a lot is, well, if people were bidding against each other to buy these companies, just like in real estate, you know, residential real estate, I mean, how many buyers overpaid for companies the last few years, right? And people probably have already realized that. 
And so now on the next deal, they're going to dig in harder. Right. So that, that's really what we've seen from change on the diligence side. Would you say that based on, you know, this, these changes that, that there's more potential for a deal to die before it gets to the finish line? Yeah. One, 100%. Because again, it, it, in the, in the last two years, it was just, Hey, we got to get there. Right. And if we're not digging as deeper on diligence, maybe we don't find that issue that kills the deal because we're, we're too blinded by just trying to get there and be the person that closes on the deal. Right. Understood. Mark, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I think we all can agree that in the last six months, uh, we're seeing buyers walk away. Where in 2022 and 2021, uh, we didn't see any buyers walking away from, from a deal. They just figured out how to get it done, get it past their investment committee. I think more along the lines of just having to deploy capital. And that was the mindset. And now, you know, we've had a couple deals and then the, you know, 11th hour uh, get squashed and just it, they're they're more willing to walk away now than they have been in the last 24, 24 months. Sure. Sure. Now we talk about when we talk about deals and we talk about working with both buyers and sellers, there's definitely a, you know, there there's the detailed technical aspect to our jobs, but there's also the the psychology part of our job. I think we all put on the, the psychologist hat as we're working through this. And obviously, as the deal market has changed, and especially as, you know, as a result, valuations have changed, because if you're in that FOMO phase, it's just buy, 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 fear of missing out. Everyone's just going to, whatever it is, okay, I'll pay for it because I, I may not get the next deal, right? And so valuations have come. So you've got, you're looking at sellers that say, well, a year ago, I could have got a seven or eight multiple. Why are you telling me it's five and si- five or six now? I mean, well, that means my EBITDA has got to be higher then, guys. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's got to be higher. That's that's the only way this is going to work. Well, you know what? It doesn't always work out like that. But, you know, it, you know, is it where I'm going with this is, is that with every deal, you know, there's a war story. There's a war story that comes out. And as we know, everybody loves war stories. So, Mark, can you give us an example or a, maybe a short story of a unique of a unique challenge you've come across in, in you know, recently in one of your uh, due diligence experiences or deals that you've worked on. Uh, sure. So, you know, we started a deal. That, the an LOI was drafted, negotiated, agreed upon in September of last year. Right. This was right before uh, we saw a downturn in the market, more related to the cost of capital increasing. Right. Um, and so purchase price, everything was based off of pre crash, so to speak, right. In our, in our, in the economy. Um, and as we went through diligence and the, and the buyer was respectful, went through the process, was willing to honor, honor the, the deal, uh, to some extent with a few caveats and, um, you know, and this buyer had closed three other deals where we did diligence prior. This was going to be another bolt-on acquisition for, for his platform. Um, and just some of the, the buyer's mentality, or excuse me, the seller's mentality was, I'm not going to negotiate off of this price that I negotiated back when the market was at a high. And we found a few... It, operational issues, a few accounting, 
adjustments that uh, affected earnings and brought them to seller's attention and the seller just would not negotiate um, and was dead set. And that's just because we all have, you know, every seller has a friend who sold at an all time high and everyone's, you know, entrepreneurs are competitive by nature. And so they're not going to be outdone by their buddy who sold the same type of business. Um, and, you know, that's the most recent war story that I have that, that, you know, that deal died and it did just because the seller was somewhat unrealistic with the economic changes. And now he's going to face it as being the owner of that business and his sales have started to slow and, you know, his cash flow is going to, to go down. Um, and it, it's funny because our buyer, our buyer client, the, the deal points that they were trying to negotiate had nothing to do with the operations. It had to do with the building leases and some of the terms around related parties, you know, that, that was part of the deal. Um, anyway, that's, that's one of my, you know, the buyer walked away and walked away really after full fledged diligence was done. APA was drafted and they were just trying to finalize the last few deal points, uh, when it came to, to leases and whatnot. Got it. Jeff, what about you? Yeah, I've, I've got a pretty good one. That's, it's actually not that recent. It's a little over a year now. Um, but you know, one of the things that I always like to, to talk to people about in this space is, you know, this is very relational. It's all about relationships and trust. And so the story I've got is, you know, basically our, the, we were working with the buyer and this was a large acquisition. It was almost a hundred million dollars. And so they had already got, had our quality of earnings procedure was done. The tax planning, the tax diligence was done environmental diligence was done. The legal diligence was just about done. And again, we were almost ready to issue our Q of E. Everything had checked the boxes on every single one of those pieces of diligence. And then about a week before closing, the seller calls our buyer and basically says, Hey, I've been having something on my conscience. Uh, we had an employee pass away on one of the job sites. So it was a contractor. And they had an employee pass away about three months prior, but that was within the diligence period. And so we had asked about it. Legal had asked about it. The buyer had asked about it. And, you know, really, it never came up, right? We even do, for certain contractors, we even do like a quick OSHA search, right, to just see if there is any claims filed against them. Uh, nothing. But in this scenario, it was because the claim hadn't been fully investigated and filed yet. So there was really no way to, to find this. But again, he called the buyer and just said, look, this has been on my conscience. I got to tell you that this, this happened. And financially, it really didn't impact them at all. The, when the OSHA investigation finished, there was like a $10,000 fine. Um, and again, not to diminish what happened, but financially it was not an impact. And if anything, it could have just been handled within escrow, right? Or we're going to, we're going to put something in the purchase agreement. Uh, but again, our buyer walked away literally at not even the 11th hour at 1159 after almost half a million dollars of diligence and six months of time had been put in, walked away because they no longer felt like they could trust the seller. 
Right. And so they even asked our opinion on that. Like, is this something that you guys would expect to see or be comfortable with if you saw in your experience? We just no, not at all. Right. I mean, because, again, this is not not it's not something that should have been hidden. Right. And so that's that, that's kind of a good war story. But again, I, the, the message with this is it's, it's very much about relationships. And if you're not honest and that goes for us, too, is the, the CPAs. Right. I mean, Honesty is king in these transactions because if something like this comes up at the last minute, it will kill a deal. Even again with a five hundred thousand dollars worth of and six months worth of time put into it, deal right. can still die. So, I, I think you know both of these war stories. I and I'm a, I can't speak for Jeff's deal, and Jeff maybe you can elaborate a little bit more. But you know a lot of a lot of times the sellers are rolling equity. They're going to become business partners. That's exactly with right, yeah. a buyer. And, you know, in, in my example, that was the case. And the, the buyer, you know, asked us our opinion as well. And the short answer is, is this someone that you want to be in business with as a business partner, if they're unwilling to look at X, Y, and Z or negotiate X, Y, and Z. Same thing with your deal, Jeff, if, if that seller is, looking to roll equity, you know, it's not a good start if you uh, begin by lying to your new business partner, right? Or hiding something from your new business partner. Um, sometimes it's just inexperience and nervousness of maybe the seller. But at the end of the day, I think buyers look at that and say, can we be business partners with this person for the next five to seven years? No, makes sense. Makes sense. And we've covered a lot here, guys. We've talked about the the the, uh, the roller coaster ride, the changes, the additional layers of scrutiny that that is, you know, we're all kind of seeing now in the during the diligence process. I think kind of to wrap this up, I mean, uh, we're all regular attending attendees of the of the ACG events where there's a there's a lot of you know there's always deal makers there, a lot of buyers, a lot of sellers there. Jeff, I know you just this week attended the Mid South event up in uh, Louisville. Um, just wanted to get your take. What's the temperature right now for the M&A market? Sure. Yeah, you're actually looking at a fantastic Louisville hotel right here. <laughs> um, so, yeah, actually, you know, quarter one, as we said, you know, deal deal flows at a 10 year low. Uh, it's a little misleading, though, because that's more the upper middle market. I think lower middle market and smaller add on type deals have kind of still been uh, chugging along. But again, at a much slower clip. But you know, this week, that's obviously, you know, we had, I think, 24 meetings. It's one of the things we always ask everybody is, what does deal flow look like? What do you foresee? Finally, for the first time this year, we're hearing people with positive sentiments about, okay, we're a little bit more comfortable with what the Fed's going to do, a little bit more comfortable with the banking crisis has kind of resolved itself. Because uh, again, that's what a lot of this is, is confidence. You know, as Mark said, they can kind of rework deals, debt versus equity to kind of make up for, you know, the, the rising cost of capital. Um, but again, a lot of it is confidence in the market. You know, the stock market's actually been going up lately, too. Uh, this stuff is actually really closely tied to it. Again, it's just all about, con you know, the confidence level of these people investing. So, yeah, we heard from multiple private equity groups that uh, they're bullish on the rest of the year and, you know, I, I think that's a good sign. And we've seen that from our deal flow proposal activity here recently as well. Mark, anything you want to add to that? No, just 
I think also from a sell side standpoint, we're seeing a lot of inquiries from our investment banking clients, the ones that we work with regularly. More deals are being prepared to go to market, which I think is also an, a good sign that we have willing sellers, right? Understanding the, the current economy and the market that we're in, that they're still willing to work on getting deals out in the market, I think is also a positive sign. And I also think it's it's indicative of what Jeff just said, that we know that there's buyers that want to deploy capital. And so I think it's a positive sign for the last six months of, of 2023 in the deal market. No, agree, agree. And it also feels like, you know, with recent reports out there with inflation softening, you know, and maybe uh, interest rates, you know, they're, they're, they decided not to increase interest rates this time around. Maybe maybe there's an end to that. And, you know, obviously, you know, we talked a lot about cost of capital and, you know, obviously interest rates driving that cost of capital increase. If the, if that, you know, starts to tame itself, then hopefully uh, that will also encourage uh, more transaction activity as well. So, gentlemen, always a pleasure. Um, appreciate all the great insights you provided today. Um for everyone else out there, please check uh, check out the podcast. You can go to CRICPA.com. Also check out our social media uh, posts. Uh, our transaction advisory services practice is very active. And uh, thank you, everybody. And uh, you guys have a great day. If you want more CRI insights or are interested in learning about our firm, please visit our website at CRICPA.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of It Figures, the CRI podcast. You can subscribe to It Figures on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review.